0: Hello and welcome back to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation podcast with Brant Pasilakwa, founder of the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation School. In this podcast, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's dive into the show.
1: Hello again and Welcome. The next kosha uh, we're going to be looking at is the Manomaya Kosha, and this is the level of the intellect and conscious mind. It's the level of conscious thoughts, and sometimes uh, just under the surface. This kosha has a huge effect on us uh, because it's, it has such a large effect right, on our perceived experience. And because the mind is so powerful, it can affect all the other koshas really dramatically. So you could think of mano maya kosha as the pivotal centerpiece in the kosha model, right? Um, that has a lot of influence. So when this level of us is functioning well, the mano, the mind, right, regulates, directs, and helps the physical and energetic states by influencing the um, how we deal with input. For example, uh, we may make different choices about our lifestyle, diet, exercise, etc., based on our perception of the things that are coming into us. So in order uh, to do this and serve our highest needs and intentions at the same time, the mind needs to be open to learning and plastic. So in order to make conscious decisions properly, we need as much information as possible. A closed mind stops changing; it loses its plastici- plasticity, <laughs> and uh, eventually um, causes disease in its uh, own kosha or others, right across the system. But most importantly, probably <clears throat> this kosher needs to be uh, open and clear, right, so that information and input can pass seamlessly and clearly through all the koshas from kosha to kosha so um you know ideally that's happening as opposed to mind getting in the way which is often the case so it's a it's a common mistake uh, in our society to put our our health in the hands of other people but of course you know educated people other educated people besides ourselves right have much to share with us in terms of health and healing But that said, um, to believe that we are not responsible for our own health and healing is a real mistake. So as yoga therapists, we're primarily educators. And just as we educate our clients on how to move and breathe, right, we must also educate our clients on proper use of their mind um, for the health benefits they're seeking. So to really understand the power of this kosher, one could look uh, at studies of the placebo effect, right? Often people will get uh, the intended effect of a drug <laughs> in studies where they believe it to be real, even though it's a sugar pill. Now, this doesn't mean that drugs don't work, or even though those drugs didn't work. But what you can really take from that is how powerful the mind is and how much the conscious mind, this kosher, right, can influence the other koshas in a similar way. Therefore, it's really important right, that we work with the mind in the disease process. So there's two ways uh, we work within this kosher. One is education um, on how the mind works. And in this course, we're going to be looking at that through the Yoga Sutras. It's really important to understand the, the nature of the mind and then techniques to work with it. The other possibility is through chanting and working with the chakra model um, to educate the mind and keep it plastic, especially right, open to change. So those are the two ways I've learned, um, I've used in my practice, both with some success. Um, but with any as with any kosha, uh, working primarily, you know, with this kosha for a disease may or may not work. You might have to involve the other koshas. Um, I have, however, seen some really helpful shifts, um, especially in mentally ill clients, uh, when gaining a little more clarity on the workings of the mind from a yogic perspective. The shame that people have of a mind that is giving us problems, you know, is common. But understanding the mind as an instrument um, and the creator of sort of our own reality really helps ease this. So the same person who's shamed uh, by their mind's nature, right, would probably never be misbe- uh, never be ashamed of, you know, a misbehaving arm or leg, right? But once you know that person understands that the mind can be understood and worked with, with the same or similar kind of detachment um, that we might uh, with our bodies. Then things can get really easier for people. So, in some ways, we can say that motivation and and discipline, right, around this are up to the client. And to an extent that's true, but what if, you know, that's a major part of the disease or problem, right? What if disordered thinking causes us not to treat ourselves well? Or what if conflicting thoughts and emotions are getting in the way of decision-making? So it's our job on some level, right, to help clients understand that they can work and understand their own mind, and um, that can help them ease their suffering, suffering, which might not always be obvious to them. So I found this to be really the case a lot in my personal work with eating disorders. Um, I find that I found that it comes to play um, once the mind is calm so that we can work with the mind directly. Um, we're going to look at the Yoga Sutras, how you can work with them yourself uh, and with other people. So I look forward uh, to working on this kosha, um, a pivotal kosha. It allows us to delve deeper into the koshas where that could be considered below it, the wisdom body and uh, the bliss body. We are continuing our look at the sutras. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter one today. Again, it's important to sort of take in the sutras because it will help guide you in session with how to work with your clients. It's, I think it's pretty important to have an understanding. And what I'm giving you here is a sort of um, fast-paced, right, review, um, sort of cliff notes of how you might look at the sutras and uh, how you might have them, you know, in your mind. So what the um, main things you'd want to be thinking about are. Chapter one goes directly at the mind, its nature, and and how to deal with it. Uh, It's both descriptive, of course, and practical. Um, Generally, the chapter is focused on the practice of samadhi, which is being immersed in higher consciousness um i look at that as being useful because you know it reminds us that higher states right are a uh you could say a possibility or you could even say um should be part of our normal working so not that we necessarily would need to be in higher states all the time but sort of achieving this higher perspective on a regular basis is extremely useful in balancing to the system so you could look at it that way um, and of course higher samadhis and like sort of bigger what you might call spiritual experiences are possible but that um, that's not exactly what i'm talking about i'm saying more the uh, glimpses and moments in our lives where we see things right for what they actually are in you know using the full range of our minds but so I suggest, while listening to this lecture, uh, you might want to have your uh, Yoga Sutra book, this uh, Makunda Styles version, which I'm using here, um, with you. This is my copy that I'm using Why we do this. Um, I've had this for a long time. Uh, and again, there's other great translations, and it's great to compare them. Um, I think this one is, is very elegant, and that's why we're using it. Very elegant and simple. So it begins, you know, offering yoga instruction as sort of a offering for the whole book. And then we get to one, two, yoga, chitta vritti, naroda, which is, you know, sort of, you might say, the most famous yoga sutra. You know, the translation here is yoga is experienced in that mind which has ceased to identify itself with its vacillating waves of perception, which is a perfect way to put it. I think, you know, another way to say that in a way would be Yoga is achieved when uh, our thoughts bother us less. When working with people and ourselves, it's important to keep this in mind, right? Like that's our goal, where where the vacillations of perception or the thoughts, you know, are less of a disturbance. And it leads us, you know, to the conclusion that, you know, it's not exactly that the thoughts are a problem. Um, our goal is to widen our perspective so that we're not having interactions with them that are problematic. The sutras go on to tell us. Uh, this is sutras uh, one, three, four, and five. It says, when this happens, then the seer is revealed, resting in its own essential nature. And then at other times, at all other times, the self appears to assume the form of thoughts, vacillations, and the true self is lost. Um, and then the next one too. What what this is about here is, it goes on to tell us how. Uh, Yoga allows us to see the true nature of things and um, not the cloudy reflection uh, of the nature of things that our mind may think it is. And that's basically what, as you get past three, four, and five, going six, seven, eight, it's talking about vacillations of the mind and sources of correct understanding. There's lots of details in all of these that are really interesting to a spiritual practitioner. Uh, in terms of therapeutics, I think it's important to understand that, that one fact. That a lot of times that our perception is a reflection that is not as accurate as we'd like it to be. Um, and that's a problem. And that inaccuracy uh, causes us to take action or maybe feel things uh, that um, are not beneficial to our system. So, of course, we want a remedy. And the remedies here is, is uh, 112. The vacillating waves of perceptions, uh, for those of you who are interested in this kind of thing, the vrittis, right? So vrittis are thought patterns, um, are still through consistent, earnest practice and dispassionate non-attachment. So this is our remedy, practice and non-attachment. And that's what chapter one is suggesting to us. And then 113 uh, here is talking about practice. And really, it's saying practice the attempt to see things through the lens of the true self or the bigger picture and that that this is a struggle and that that being a struggle is actually normal. Um, And I can't tell you, you know, even if I'm not directly referencing the sutras, you know, to a client, I can't tell you how many times I've used this concept that it is very normal for humans to struggle. Right. And our job. Right. It's OK in your in your path or your progress when you're trying to get A to B from A to B mentally um, for it to be hard. And that that's not really a problem. And then when 14 talks about uh, it being firmly grounded when it's pursued incessantly with reverence for a long time. So basically <laughs> this uh, seeing things through the lens of the true self right? Bigger picture becomes more natural the longer we do it. And another way to say that could be, right? It's good for us to stop our magical thinking that everything it will change if I just X, Y, or Z. That this is a process and it takes some time. Practice here, right, is the work that we need to do. And then grace, you know, the idea here that grace descends, these aha moments happen when we are practicing. So we don't create right, these big changes, that magical thing, we don't actually make them happen, we set up the conditions so that we can see clearly, and that's what we need to take from that. Then, when we go to 115, we start talking about non-attachment. Now, it says here that non-attachment is both uh, a mastery of consciousness, right, where one is free of craving, is how uh, he puts it. So, this is both a point of view Right. Like my cravings and desires are not necessarily uh, what needs to guide me. So that's more of a an idea. Right. And it's also a practice. Right. Mindfulness of cravings will lead to their power being reduced by acknowledging, you know, I am craving things to be different. I feel anxious. I feel upset and I don't like it. Right. By acknowledging these, these feelings and thoughts and vrittis, right, and sitting still with these uh, and they're, you know, accompanying the vrittis themselves and their accompanying emotions, um, we gain power over our conscious mind. And that's what they're talking about in 115 and 16. So we have these two practices, like practice, right, and non-attachment. And then when we get to 116, um, it's talking about the ultimate state of non-attachment. And I think really here, it's, you know, it goes on to remind us, since everyone is part of the larger whole, right, the very idea that our individual perception is more important than that of another is like fundamentally flawed. And if we master non-attachment, we'll experience a deep sense of well-being because everything is just as it should be. And we've all experienced that, actually, and what this is talking about is, is making that more common and then from an enlightenment perspective like happening all the time but for our purposes we're really looking at um, trying to make this something that we're aware of when it does happen and then actually make it happen more right by working with this practice of mindfulness right and also this point of view and i'd like us to skip ahead to um, 121 and 122. So 121 and 122 here, for those who have an intense urge for spirit and and wisdom, it sits near them waiting. And then 22 says, for those who have an urge of varying degrees, mild, moderate, or intense, right? There are distinctions in their sense of closeness to spirit. This is important because it's reminding us that people are different in terms of their desire to be immersed in a wider perspective of the self. And that it's going to be harder for some people than others which you know this reminder for our work is incredibly important every time we get reminded that people are different and something that's easier for one person is harder for the other and that people are individuals it's good for our brain because after you do this work uh, for many years you're going to start putting people in categories because that's just how the mind works i've seen this before i know and what you want to constantly be reminded is that even though we type people right vata pitta kapha we do it right even in this training um, that people are different and that their their possibilities in any given day are going to be different based on that so that's what i like about um, these sutras and then 123 the end of spiritual practice is only attained by placing oneself in the lord which is this concept is of asvara pranidanam So what this is pointing us towards, I think, is that all roads require uh, Isvara Pradhyam, which is surrender. All effort, right, and point of view, right, all this work must be matched with some concept of surrender. There has to be some idea that I can't control everything, you know, this idea If it's just the way it is, or if someone's more devotional, it's in God's hands. But this idea that ourselves and especially our ego is not the master of every single thing is incredibly important, right, for any healing process. So we have all this work we do, sort of like the practice concept I was saying earlier. We have all this practice so we can receive grace. We have all this work, right, and it has to be coupled with I've done the work and now I surrender to what happens and when we surrender uh, as many of you I'm sure know things go a lot more smoothly then we move to I think the next useful sutras here um, are 127 128 and 129 that's uh, 127 the sound of owning that self is the eternal Om, which manifests the grace of the design presence by constantly repeating that sacred sound with great respect and love and reflecting upon its meaning, one attains spiritual wealth, and from that practice arises the attainment of inward-directed consciousness, and also obstacles to success disappear. What is important here is that chanting and reflection upon the meaning of the chants moves our attention inward. And then this, this inward awareness reduces the obstacles to our sense of peace and connection with our larger self and larger awareness. So in the sutras, it's they're specifically talking about OM, right? Containing all aspects of vibration, which are the building blocks of the universe. So it's reminding us that chanting is a technology that can change our experience and align us with spirit. So these are in here. You know, Patanjali could have talked about a lot of different things. And these are the things he chose to talk about, um, which, which makes this text so brilliant. Um, and from a Western point of view, um, especially in therapeutic contexts, you know, even I will often sort of not really go for some of the chanting, um, which are going to be learning soon. Uh, technology, right, uh, to help people, and then of course, every time I do, I'm always amazed at how well it works. This is important to ponder because to to truly understand yoga therapy, we need to personally understand why meditation and surrender can help heal. And even though it's totally and completely marvelous and stunning and amazing, right? It is not fantasy and it's not magic. So let me say that one more time because we're ending on this thought. And if you take nothing else from this lecture, it's important. We need to personally understand how meditation and surrender can heal. Once you understand that, you'll be able to help people more and you'll be able to see the openings for them, right? Because you've seen them in yourself. What's really important is to understand how that is so amazing and so different than magical thinking, which to be honest, there's a lot of alternative healing in this world that's based on this magical thinking concept, um, which I personally have problems with. So because it doesn't really work your practice should be hopefully infused right by Patanjali's advice here. The main thing um, is to, I would suggest is to make um, these yoga sutras part of a daily practice um, and allow them to sort of shape and guide your thinking. Uh, It's an easy thing to do in small pieces. And I don't believe you have to do a super intense study of the sutras to get their benefit. I think what's most important is that you're constantly infused. And my personal experience has been that even when I believe I understand something, you know, if I put them down and come back to them a year later, I realize, you know, in a way I've fallen off the wagon mentally. So it keeps us on the path. It keeps us on the path. So I hope that's uh, helpful hope it's useful. I hope it's interesting.
0: Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Please subscribe, rate and review our show and help us share yoga therapy with more people around the world. If you think this episode will help someone you know, feel free to share it with them. If you love yoga therapy and meditation, you can follow us over on Instagram at Breathing Deeply Yoga, where we share anything and everything to help you advance your understanding of yoga therapy and meditation. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com. See you in the next episode.